It's another podcast from the College of Intensive Care Medicine's ASM in Hobart. It's been an absolutely fantastic day. We're doing the Into the Heart of the Matter single organ paediatric and adult crossover conference. It's been very, very interesting. I've got the very first speaker from today who's not really what you might expect. It's Claire Kerr. Claire, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Claire, you got up and gave the first talk of this really quite significant conference today and came from an angle that I think a lot of people might not have been expecting, a very personal angle, a personal story. Would you be willing to share some of that with us? For sure. Yes, so if anyone doesn't know me, I actually work at the Royal Children's as a nurse in the intensive care unit. But uh, something that makes me quite unique is I was a patient there 11 years ago and underwent a heart transplant. Um, So I would say I was a relatively normal child up until 14. Um, I was playing state basketball. I was going to go to America. You know, you don't think your plans are really going to change at that age. And then at about 14, I started to get quite sick. Um, But, you know, got put down to glandular fever, chest infections, just a few misdiagnoses. The symptoms, you know, they didn't start straight away, but they were few and far between until it got, you know, really serious. And it wasn't until those big symptoms of, you know, weight loss, uh, not eating, um, not being able to attend school or even sort of walk to the bathroom occurred um, that I got diagnosed with dilated cardiomyopathy. But you knew on the inside that something was I wrong. did. You know, for a month prior, I remember going to a sleepover and not being out of life flat. And, you know, I said it to Dad, but, you know, it was one night. And, you know, the lack of concentration in class, I noticed that I just was not able to concentrate um, on the teacher. And um, just training, you know, I... I just felt that I wasn't right, like I could not keep up, but it wasn't significant enough that people really thought I was sick. They just thought, oh, she's nervous, lack of performance. So yeah, they and they're very generalised symptoms, you know, they can be anything. Um, And I can see why they thought it was those types of, you know, glandular fever and that it was going around at school. So it made sense. Common things are common, as we keep saying. Common things are common. But uncommon things happen too. Common, exactly. And I suppose what sparked the interest of the doctors was actually my mum and dad had two children before my sister and I um, and one passed away at three days old um, with a separate genetic disorder and the other one Sarah she passed away within six months of virus myocarditis which probably was now cardiomyopathy right so obviously when we presented to the ED and we told them this story it did spark a bit of an interest and obviously after doing a chest x-ray and seeing very how dilated my heart was they were like you've got cardiomyopathy are we talking like it looks like you're holding a basketball it was massive I mean dad and I realise now why the uh, x-ray man looked very nervous after he took and told us just to go straight back but get in the wheelchair first I feel like he didn't want me to strain too much because it was so bad (laughs) was that uh, at the children's hospital it was at the children's but I'm originally from Adelaide so I live in Melbourne now so that was at the Adelaide um, Women's and Children's. Ah, okay, I got you. Right, and that was the beginning of a very scary or interesting It was scary. It was scary, but at the same time, it was a relief, which sounds really bad because... I kept saying to people I just didn't feel right and it was kind of a relief, it sounds really bad, that I actually had something now that was wrong with me and I could tell people, you know, I'm not faking it or um, I'm trying to eat and yeah. things like that. So it was a relief at the same time, which yeah. so mixed emotions. Okay. Now, what was the sort of path after that? I mean, I mean, you know, I think we all loved that we thought, you know, I'll just get on some medication and I'll just monitor my condition and, you know, transplant might be something in the future. However, I just just 
I think I was diagnosed too far um, and I deteriorated very quickly. So I ended up uh, transferring to the Royal Children's in Melbourne. And, you know, the plan was just go for a week, have the transplant work up. However, I deteriorated while I was there. Oh, and you went straight to transplant? Yeah. So I actually bridged with a VAD, so um, a ventricular assist device, if people don't realise. But it was quite um, unique in those days because I was only the fourth child in Australia to go on it. It was a relatively new sort of device for bridging transplant, and it was only used in adults. Yeah. Um, So that was a big thing as well, you know, complications of that and sort of, you know you know, was it actually going to be a successful thing in children's was still sort of being figured out. Yeah, absolutely. And I was working at that time and yeah, it was, it was yeah. not sure what's going to happen with this. Yeah, and exactly. And we used, you know, a lot of resources from the Alfred. They would yeah. come over and sort of monitor my condition. So, and it was just relatively new for even the nurses yeah. and that looking after me. So you as a 14 year old, obviously a bright cat anyway, mm. and, you know, dealing with this, you were aware that the, it was unclear what was going to happen with this thing. How did it feel? I mean, what, what, what did it um, feel like as a 14-year-old with this thing, you know, on the outside? It was very unpredictable. I knew the complications, but I probably didn't know the ramifications as much of yeah. them. But, you know... I had a girl who was next door to me, the same age, everything, and she went on the same machine and she had a stroke and passed away. So I think it was then I realised, you know, it's not as easy as just going on this and waiting for a transplant like you get told in the meetings. Yeah, okay, all right. And how long did you have it for? I didn't. I was very lucky. Um, I only had it for about four months, um, and that's probably the fact that my age, my height, and the fact I had dilated cardiomyopathy, I was able to fit a more adult heart in. So I had a bit of a bigger pool, I could say, in the donation scheme to, yeah, receive an organ. Yeah, okay. And so... What was it like when you found out that this, there was an organ was for you? I mean, what, what? I didn't quite get it at first. The transplant nurse had been away, and um, she kind of said, oh, "I just want to come over and check on you." And I remember Dad and I had a full routine going. We'd go to blood certain days, and she rang Dad and said on the phone, "I think she's got a heart, um, but I want to come over and tell her." And so she said, "Oh, tell her she has to fast, obviously." And I was so annoyed because I was having pikelets with jam on that morning, and. <laughs> It was about. I know, you know when like food is life, and um, it was about nine a.m. and I was like, Dad, oh my god, we're going to be there all day waiting for bloods because it gets really busy at pathology. And she came over and she's like, I've got an early birthday present because I actually was transplanted um, six days before my birthday. Fifteenth. Fifteenth, yeah. Um, and at first I was obsessed with bikes in physio for some reason. I thought, oh, she's just got me a bike or something. And then it clicked and, um, yeah, it was a very emotional, it's a weird thing because you wait for it and wait for it. And when it kind of happens, you're like, oh my God, it's actually actually happening. And you get told it always happens at night. So it happens sort of, you know, 9am in the morning. That was just, I wasn't prepared for that. Right. Okay. So, bang, it all happens. It all happened. I was literally in recovery. An hour later, I was being wheeled in, yep, and went under, yeah. Wow. Okay, and then how long were you in ICU? I was really quick post-transplant. I actually left 24 hours post um, because we had a code brown in Melbourne which required the hospital to clear out. So it was a great way to leave ICU. I would recommend it, you know, to get to the ward really quickly. So it was brilliant. But it was instant recovery. You know, mum even said, 
differences like the color I actually had tingling hands because my fingers weren't used to being perfused so well and the warmth of them my nerves just couldn't sort of handle it for those first few days wow um, okay and so then rehab and you know so what, was, what was your recollection of all that rehab I think has come a long way since me I don't think there was a rehab program per really? se um, I think that's something we could improve on in paediatrics. Um, in the Alfred, they have a brilliant rehab program. Um, I definitely had to cut back my food. I was a, I put a lot of weight on from that steroid, prednisolone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was very quick, to be honest. Um, I was very fit beforehand, and yeah. I think that really helped. Um, I lost a lot of weight, but obviously muscle loses less quickly. Yeah. Um, and I was back home within three months, back to Adelaide. So... Um, very quick, just built straight back up. Appetite came back, and I was really lucky that all my biopsies were perfect. And, and then medications after that was it, was that hellish for you? Or? Um, it was. I got uh, I had a complication of getting um, a post transplant lymphoma. Mm -hmm. um, so that complicated things a few months later. Having a non Hodgkin's lymphoma, I um, was very lucky. I didn't need chemo for that. Um, medication wise, you know, for the first six months, you do chop and change a little bit, getting the dosing right. But now I'm really on the same medication dose. It's very, you know, same levels, and I've really had no big issues with it. Right. And so, did that like, so plug it back into life again? Let's get back to normal? Or was it like that? Sorry. It is. And I think that's maybe the hard aspect of the mental health around chronic. Yeah patients because this all happened within a year of being diagnosed to transplant and then I went back to school and you know the friends I had I maybe didn't really connect with them anymore because they were at the age where we were starting to go to parties and that and I couldn't quite do that um, you know sport was a big thing mental health wise because I was at such a high level and I had to start from the bottom again um, so it was a difficult transition I'd say for that first six months but then after that you know continued life I went to uni mm. travelled it's amazing for children isn't it just in general because I mean ultimately this terrible or difficult thing that happens to them it just, become, just becomes a thing that they do it does well, that, yep. was, that was my version of this yep. you know and off I go yep. <laughs> yeah a heart transplant but what can you do yep. I mean, bonkers so then well first of all <clears throat> Let's move on to what you did decide to do, which I think is an amazing thing, right? You decided to go to college and you decided to go and study nursing, right? Yeah. Talk me a little bit through that path and you're thinking about it, because I mean, I, I imagine the way you thought about it then and the way you think about it now that you've actually gone as far as being a paediatric yes. care nurse, which is, exactly. you know, let's face it, pretty mm. fancy. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very interested to... to here, what do you think about all that? Yeah. Um, it is a bit weird. People do ask me that. Um, I don't think I had any intention of being a paediatric nurse. I mean, post-transplant, I was always one of those people who really wanted to know everything about my condition because I felt if I knew everything, I'd be able to live longer and control things. Mm -hmm. And obviously that sparked a passion for nursing. Um, never became a doctor because I don't have 10 years to waste doing medicine. I'm on borrowed time. Um, so I chose a three-year course, yeah. which was nursing. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah, I did my nursing. I always thought maybe cardiology, you know, a cardiac ward would be my interest. I really enjoyed burns, but it wasn't until I did a placement in ICU in adults and it really sparked that one-on-one -on -one connection mm. that I remember having and how, you know, on the ward sometimes it's just so busy. You don't get a chance just to sit and do that sort of mental health aspect with yeah. your patients. And in ICU, you can and I think I remember how valuable even as the nursing staff were to my family yeah. and that aspect yeah absolutely the so do you remember really fondly the, the nurses that cared for you during the Definitely. Time? And a lot of them I still work with today. I was going to ask. That's just incredible. Yeah. Because you're in the same unit, of course. You're actually Yeah, I am. Unit. So it's a different hospital. It's a new hospital, but um, same unit. And yeah, I still work with those nurses. 
So and may I ask, when you started working in, in Piku in the Royal Children's, mm. had they already changed to the new building? They had. Right, okay, well, some, a slight change, but the it same was. actual staff. Yeah, you, right? a lot of them. And they remembered you, of course. They did. Some of them, um, you know, it's not something I tell people straight away. I wanted to be taken seriously as a nurse yeah. um, instead of that nurse. person that was the 14-year-old. Um, and a lot of them would be like, oh, you look really familiar. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and that it kind of face. I know. I'd be like, oh, but I'm from Adelaide. And they'd be like, oh, I, I yeah. mustn't know you. And then it obviously clicked. Yeah, um, but it's really nice, and I think it's nice for them to see me and um, stay in touch. And, yeah, I had, you know, been on the VAD, there was just specific nurses who could look after me in those days. Yeah. Um, so we did, you know, have a real bond and friendship, and they became our family, to be honest. Yeah, fantastic. Now, look, having been through all that and having become a professional in that highly specialised mm. area and so on, there must be aspects of what you went through that you think you know could have been done different or could have been done better, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the message that people like yeah. me would like to get from people like you. You know, so what wasn't so good, or what do you think could could be improved? Now, this is obviously a bit of a flashback to mm-hmm. having been nine years ago, whatever it is. Yeah, what you say nine years ago? Uh, Eleven. Eleven years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so things have changed. Things right? have changed, but and so some of them will have changed for the better. Yeah, but, yeah. I'd be really interested to get your insight on that because you've been on both sides of yeah. this really quite yeah. conspicuous fence. You know, I think I had three most important sort of aspects. You know, there's a lot of different things, but my first one was desensitivity from the environment. I think as um, clinicians and nurses and allied health, we desensitize ourselves from the environment and we get used to what is a norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that is normal for you. Exactly, a, a intubated child, <laughs> adult is normal. All the monitors in our room is normal. But you know, I was saying how I still remember the open layout of the children, and they used to, you know, close it down and do surgeries in there. And you know, I'd just be laying in my bed with a baby having a surgery next to me with just some curtains around, and I still remember the, you know surgeons talking and the yeah. tortures and just watching the surgery from time to time yeah. um you know i was aware of that sort of environment where a child was being withdrawn on right by just like reading people's faces and you know obviously seeing children next to me you know having an arrest or something like that um that was yeah it was quite a uh, emotionally confronting no i know it's not very common in pediatric ICU, but did you see any crashing patients or anything? yeah i did actually and um i did on the ward and it happened at night and I'd say it was one of the horriblest nights I've experienced but maybe one of the best and that sounds really bad but it was a boy who was non-compliant with his medication and he was a transplant patient and I say it was one of the best because it made me realize what the risks are of not taking and I still always remember that night and I still remember his what his family went through and obviously what he went through and why, you know, taking medication is so important. Well, so pretty, pretty horrible, but pretty potent lesson. Exactly, yeah. Okay, right, well, that's a heavy one. Yeah. Um, my next one would be, obviously, patient advocacy. You yeah. know, I say we talk about it a lot. We've all used it in an interview here and there. Yeah. Um, but being, you know, I was, an, I was a young adult, and I felt mature enough that I could be included in conversations, and sometimes I wasn't, and I was talked about instead of talked to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think always reminding that your patient is a person, and you could be having a really busy day, but just spending five minutes with them, just like saying how that is, is just invaluable. I just, it just felt so good, because you look up to your doctors, you look up to your surgeons, you think they're God, and so for them just to take five minutes and have a chat with you, it's the best feeling, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and just advocating my needs, you know, 
um, I felt a lot of time they'd ask my parents instead of me. Mm. Um, so for a nurse or something to advocate for me and speak up when I didn't feel comfortable, that was just invaluable. Yeah, it's like somebody standing up for you in a horrible fight. At exactly, exactly. Because it's daunting. Sometimes you have 10 clinicians in the room and they're all talking amongst yourself and you don't want to be rude and interrupt them and you think, okay, they know my care best. Yeah. Well, they're supposed to, was, but they yeah. don't necessarily know you best. Exactly. Which is kind of where you as an intensive care nurse are working. Exactly. And so do you find that that's really informed how you try to practice? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think, um, uh, yeah, definitely being a good patient advocate, realising my surroundings. You know, I've, I still made the mistake of having a child and realising they're looking next door at another child who's, you know, intubated in that and thinking, oh, my God, like, I don't know what they're thinking at the moment and shutting the doors. Um, So I still have to remind myself as well. Um, But I think if we all think about that first time when we walked in as a doctor, a nurse, allied health, and how scary it was. Oh, the first time you would lie to you. Yeah. Absolutely. He's like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And we downplay things, you know, um, parents, you know, they'll come in with the flu and you're like, oh my God, but here's a child on ECMO Mm. next door. But you've got to think like it's the worst thing for that family at that point in their life. And I think the biggest other, the third thing I got was mental health in, um, in patients you know I was very withdrawn and I didn't notice it and I actually got pushed into seeing someone and I was very annoyed by it because I didn't feel like I had an issue right okay and it ended up being the best thing that could ever have happened to me because I'm not a care to share type of person and they came and visited me they realized that I had a lot of anxiety we were able to discuss things that I felt I couldn't talk to my parents about just because I didn't want to worry them Um, and I continue that on when I was on the VAT as an outpatient and I do thank the people who acknowledged I wasn't alright because I wouldn't have seen them if I'd had the choice choice. yeah interesting isn't it Mm. maybe it's a you know Mm. the exception that proves the rule but at the same time yeah, it's a bit hard to get pushed into that situation when you didn't ask for it but then yeah yeah, if you're a little bit low on insight as was just so often the case exactly so the person that you saw psychiatrist psychologist Mm. Uh, a psychologist okay yeah, and um, that was invaluable. And when I, you know, witnessed that arrest or things like that, they would bring him up straight away. Okay. And it was just a third party yeah. um, person that I could talk to. And I kind of wish I had continued on maybe for that six months post transplant in yeah. seeing someone. Yes, okay. And I think we always talk about, you know, the the patient or something that's really aggravated or annoying, but we never really highlight the patient who's let you, um, you know, try and put an IV in ten times. We just yeah. think they're placid yeah. they're okay with the situation but are they actually or are they withdrawn yeah absolutely mm. now uh, the one last question i'd really like to ask mm. you is that now that you're working in that area are you in any way are you i know you said you didn't want to be treated differently but it must mm. be very hard not to be i mean do, do you find when you're at work mm. that you're uh, maybe an example is like oh you know claire went through that and so on mm. and so forth because I mean, it'd be almost impossible not for that to be in my mind yeah. if i was working with you i'd have to get over it yeah you have to tell me yeah so just leave that and or whatever do you have to go through that sort of thing? Um, I mean, are you the model child of cardiac transplant in the unit? I think I am. <laughs> I don't know if I am, but no, I do. I mean, a lot of people know my name, so I feel like I left a good impression, mm-hmm. um, which makes me think that when I wasn't aware and I was a bit under sedation, I mustn't have offended anyone too much. Or maybe you were, maybe you were hilarious. <laughs> no, you know? I don't know. I can get a bit aggressive, I think. Oh. Um, but, you know, um, I think it took me a long time, but I think people respect the fact that I want to be clear. I think we have jokes and you know you know people be like but I kept you alive um (laughs) like I'm in debt to everyone apparently on that unit um but I think I've worked really hard to be the professional Claire but 
from what I've been through, I'm able to relate to those types of patients. I know what it's like to be claustrophobic on a BiPAP mask. I know what it's like to get drains taken out, you know, all those sort of things. I can relate to that person. Does it bring back difficult memories? Mm, probably not difficult because um, I think I had quite a positive experience, to be honest. Um, but... Yeah, there's sometimes, you know, where you look after certain patients, as I was saying, like VAD patients and mm. things, and it does highlight to you, I might be back on a VAD yeah. later on in life. Right, yeah. um, but I try and think that at that time and place, it's not about me, it's about that patient. And, you know, I shouldn't really be putting my emotions into it because then I can't properly look after them. Of course not. But, but awareness of it, which you clearly have, yeah. allows you to deal with it as best you can. Yeah, because exactly. You no, know, because you haven't had the same... Mm. 14 to 15 I know what happened to me between 14 yeah. and 15 yeah. it wasn't I had to grow like up quite quickly you bet you did you bet you did listen thank you so much for coming on talking to the conference and thanks for coming talking to the podcast it's, a, it's an amazing story and I, I, you know, it's just absolutely fascinating and here you are. I mean, you look absolutely amazing. You Thank know, you. Healthy as, and you know, you're full of life. And you know, I try. Yeah, well, exactly. And you're living it for you know. I'll have this. Thank you very much. Yeah. Brilliant. Claire, pleasure meeting you. You too. I look forward to seeing you around. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thank you.